Good morning. Happy Resurrection Day. We're so excited to be out here. Look at this just beautiful uh, scenic view that we have. Just wanted to do something special for Easter since we couldn't come together. And this is really what, what was on our heart to do. And so super excited about the message and what God's doing. We're going to just address this topic of shame and what the resurrection says about that. Before we get started, uh, I want to just pray. Uh, let's pray. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy. God, we pray that you would just begin to anoint even now, God, that you would open every listener's ears and open their heart, God, that they would just feel your anointing, feel your presence right where they're at. God, this is your day. This is the day that you came out of the grave and declared that you are the king of the universe, God. And from this day forward, God, you're just consistently putting the enemies of God under your feet, God, and reigning and ruling by your gospel. And so, God, we want to proclaim that. We want to declare that today. God, we just want to shout from the mountaintops, God, as it were today, how awesome and how glorious you are. And so, God, fill my heart today. Fill me with your spirit, God, that I would communicate your message with the anointing of God. And, Lord, it would be clear and precise. And, God, it would just touch the hearts of those who are listening. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So uh, another cameo here, the stretchy man made another appearance here. God is stretching us, and we are embracing the stretch. And so uh, this sermon here is going to stretch you a little bit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to maybe reveal some things that make you a little bit uncomfortable. But I want to assure you that any uncomfort that you feel, uh, God is so good that he is not here to shame you or to embarrass you, that God is just trying to get to the heart of what is going on in your heart, because that's the place where he wants to meet you in the place of honesty and relationship. Uh, so, so we're going to be talking about shame today. We're going to be talking about what the resurrection says about it and what God raising from the dead, what that did for us. And there's this beautiful story in Mark that we're going to be going to. So if you've got your Bibles and you've got them on your lap or you've got your device or whatever you're, you're, you're looking at the scriptures on, it's going to be in Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to go. And so, so, so go ahead and, and get to that place and we're going to kind of kind of get started here. There was a, the author of um, Sherlock Holmes, his name was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and, and he did as a prank one time, he, 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 the 12 most famous friends that he had that had the best reputation, uh, he sent them all a telegram, telegram that said, uh, fly away now, all has been discovered. That's all it said. And so when they got this telegram and he went to follow back up with them, every one of them had left the country. The idea here is, is that no matter how good we think we are, no matter how noble anybody is, we all have something to hide. That there's all, we all are dealing with some kind of element of shame, some kind of element of, of I've got to cover something up because if I don't cover this up, uh, my value will go down. It's kind of like a house. People buy a house and they change the tile and they change the paint and they cover up things and because they want the market value of this house uh, to go up. And the way to get the market value up of the house is I've got to hide its imperfections and got to conceal things. And, and that's what we do. We feel like when, when we're experiencing shame or, or when we're allowing voices that are not the voice of 
God to come into our life, it begins to make us think that we're less than and we begin to play into that role and we begin to think our market value is going to go down. And so what we do to counteract that is we start covering up, we start, we start putting things over the real issue and the real place that God wants to meet us and bring healing into our life. And this happened with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Uh, they, they go into the garden and they listen to the serpent's words and the serpent begins to try to get them to quit identifying about what God said and start listening to him. And so he starts saying, has God said and, and begins to start this dialogue. And so Eve takes of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then so does Adam. And then suddenly the Bible says that now their eyes are open. In other words, they're going to begin to see themselves in a different kind of way, that, that something about their identity is going to be misinformed, that they quit listening to God and what God's plan was them, what God's value was on them, and they started to listen to the serpent who was jealous of the glory and the relationship that God had with them. And so when they begin to redefine that relationship and begin to step into that place, they begin to look and determine their own value based on what they saw in each other and based upon the own shame that they felt. The Bible says that when God shows up and the first thing he asks them is, where are you, Adam? God is showing us his nature, that he's out not to destroy, but he's seeking them out. He, what's going on? We had a relationship. We were walking in the cool of the day. And when he finds them, he finds them hiding and he asks them why they're hiding. They say, because we're naked. And then God says something so surprising here. God says, who told you? You were naked. In other words, why are you listening to other voices other than myself in order to find out who you are and what your value is? See, instantly when that sin came in, Adam and Eve begins to sew together fig leaves. They begin to cover themselves. They begin to try to hide their shame. They begin to... Uh, to make for themselves coverings so that they wouldn't have to be so ashamed. Now, now here's the, the cool thing here is like we think that maybe like when they took a bite of the, of the fruit that instantly they became ugly. Like I don't believe that happened at all. I believe that when they took a bite of the knowledge of good and evil in which they would be the ones who would try to determine what's good, what's bad, what's pretty, what's not, instead of listening to God at what was beautiful and what was good and what was bad, that they would determine themselves that when they took a bite, they didn't change at all. The only thing that changed is, is now after that covenant-keeping relationship with God was broken, it was broken between them as well. So suddenly they couldn't even trust each other with each other's nakedness because they were afraid and ashamed so they projected that shame onto the other person and then that person projected the shame onto them so Adam and Eve are in this sh shame exchange here to where they can't trust each other with each other's vulnerability and nakedness see that's what shame does shame tries to cover up and then project that shame onto someone else and so it begins to be compounded and so since the covenant relationship with God was broken and they didn't have that peace anymore suddenly the covenant relationship between each other was broken and then it becomes a, a, an experiment where humanity goes for the all of time even today trying to figure out how to cover 
themselves. See, they use fig leaves, but we use other things. We use a good name. We use a relationship. We use a whatever it might be to try to cover up to increase our market value. But I want to tell you something about God. God is not like that at all. God is not looking at you in a shameful way. But God is about stripping you of the things that you're hiding behind so that He can meet you in that place of vulnerability and relationship where y'all might have an exchange of relationship where He can not just cover your shame, but that He can step into that shame and heal you of that reality. So it's not that they became ugly, it's that they became untrusting. They became ashamed and began to hide what God was trying to do. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings. So suddenly, nakedness became shameful, but they were still made in the image of God. So nakedness became shameful, but then it also, on the other hand, became sacred it became something that you would only share when a covenant keeping relationship was established Uh, that their shame would be covered by the shame of another by intimacy after marriage so we see this picture of God's plan unfolding That when we step into covenant relationship, that our nakedness is covered with our spouse's nakedness. And that vulnerability in relationship creates life. Now, I'm not trying to give you a lesson on biology here, but I'm trying to show you the beauty of the gospel and what God does with the covenant. So, yes, nakedness became shameful, but it still remained sacred. It still become the covenant place to where God would meet us. See, Jesus is restoring our proper garments by removing our shame and covering us with his righteousness. This is what Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15 says. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Get this, he set aside set them aside, nailing it to the cross, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So the legal demands against us were nailed to the cross. In other words, Jesus became sin and he took on our sin in his body and he becomes sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. Now track with me here. Here, Here's what's going on. Jesus nailed to a cross, stripped and shame. He bears that shame and that shame overcomes and actually ends up being a shame to Satan and to his demons. Why? Because it disarmed Satan from the one weapon he had against you. The weapon that Satan had against you was unforgiven sin. 
So Jesus on the cross, it looks like a shameful moment for him, but it's actually shame on Satan because he tried to do something and to come against us and to come against God's people. And God raised up a standard in his son Jesus to shame Satan by him trying to shame his son. So it's kind of weird here, but God covers shame with his own shame. In other words, Jesus goes to the most shameful place, the death of a slave, naked and exposed, being mocked by everyone. And it's in that place of shame that He shames Satan and covers our sins and covers us. So I know what you're probably thinking, okay, Matt, what does this have to do with Easter and the resurrection? Well, I thought you would never ask. So here we go, the portrait in Mark. I want you to go there with me. Mark chapter 14, verse 43 through 52. And this is the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Okay, now track with me. Verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with the crowd, with a crowd, with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled." Now get this in verse 50, and they all left him and fled. Now here comes this weird, enigmatic, mysterious story here. Verse 51, check this out. And a young man followed him. Okay, so there's keys here. Young man, anonymous, and followed him, which meant that he was one of the disciples of Jesus with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. See, we find this story in Mark's gospel right after the account of Jesus' arrest. And scholars have been baffled with this, and, and different people have come up with different uh, solutions to who this could be. Some people think it was Mark, as he's writing the gospel, he's painting himself in there as an artist would sign his name at the bottom of a painting. And other people have thought it's maybe it's Joseph of Arimathea, or maybe it was Lazarus. And, and, and some people have just went on and on about this, this enigmatic story. But, but what I think Mark is trying to do here is he's giving us a picture. He's, he's painting this vignette, this side story, this, this physical illustration to show us really what's going on here with the disciples uh, themselves. And so there's some clues here uh, that we're going to unpack. Now, now watch, this brief episode in question shows us that the disciples are fleeing, right? So everybody flees. Suddenly, this young man who followed Jesus is fleeing, right? So this picture's being painted. 
the disciples who left everything to follow Jesus, now with this portrait of this young man as a representation symbolic of the disciples, is like this. They have now, instead of leaving everything to follow Jesus, they're leaving everything, including their last stitch of clothes, to get away from Jesus. So here is a picture of the disciples' uh, great failure. It's significant that this youth is described as one who followed Jesus. This is what disciples do. So following here is a literary clue. This young man with a linen cloth here is, is sent to give us this picture of the disciples that they had left everything to follow Jesus but now they're leaving everything to get away from Jesus that there's utter failure that they thought they were clothed but what they were being clothed with was about Jesus all along it wasn't about them or the fact he pointed them out or their giftings or their abilities the only covering they had was Jesus and when they left Jesus the only covering that they actually had was being left behind so this is the story that Mark is trying to paint out for us he's trying to show us that at one time these disciples left all to follow him now they've left everything to run from him so here we see epic failure but if we were to be honest how many of us have not failed jesus how many of us many times had followed jesus and and been covered by him only when times get tough or or a persecution or a trial or a temptation comes instead of leaving all we we leave jesus and then what happens is is our covering leaves and so when we walk away from jesus we're never more naked than we've ever been in our life and so we're open and we're shamed and we find out that we're really not who we thought we were and and all this shame comes in and then satan comes in and and compounds the shame see guilt is i've done something wrong but shame is i am something wrong that i'm fundamentally at my root something is wrong with me and there's no restoration that there's no peace and there's no hope so now the disciples are naked but if we were to be honest we are all naked without jesus hebrews chapter 4 Verse 12 through 13 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So what does Jesus do in order to cover and restore? So there's something particular that begins to happen. There's only two times where this kind of linen cloth is mentioned. It's mentioned in the verse we had read in Mark 14. But then in Mark 15, verse 46, it's mentioned again. Check this out. And Joseph bought a linen shroud... Same word, the only two times in the gospel. And taking him down, Jesus from the cross, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in the tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. So the Greek word there is sindon, which is this costly, fine material 
that, that, that people that had died were wrapped in. People of honor were wrapped in when they had passed on. So here's the young man wrapped in a burial shroud. Wrapped up in a... While, this is why Mark is trying to draw these two conclusions together. So the disciples ran and left and dropped the burial shroud. Here is a picture of Jesus taking it up on the cross and being wrapped in that same shroud and being placed into the tomb. So here's the picture. Jesus takes the nakedness of the disciples on the cross and then takes the shroud and when he is resurrected, he restores and glorifies that shroud where they could be covered in the same covering and glory that they had left long ago and that Jesus was wanting to restore to them. So here we have this man, this young man runs away, picture of the disciples, leaves the shroud. Jesus takes it up in the tomb and then comes up glorified. Now watch what else Mark begins to do. He does something else. He brings back the young man. He brings him back in Mark 16. Now the other gospel accounts don't refer to this young man. They call them angels. But Mark paints this angel or this figure or this symbolic literary device here as a young man. Watch what happens. Mark chapter 16, verse 5 through 6. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen, and he is not here. See the place where they laid him. Okay, so watch the juxtaposition here of the two. Young man, Jesus gets arrested, leaves the shroud, flees. Now that Jesus is re resurrected, there is a young man wearing the shroud and now he's preaching the gospel. He's saying he was crucified and now he's risen from the dead and he's not here anymore. This is a picture of the place of the, the resurrection power of God and the spirit of God was going to do in the disciples. That it was going to cover their shame. That the shame that they had left behind when they had left Jesus. He takes it, wraps himself up in it, pays for that shame on the cross. And then raises from the dead and gives them back the garment that they left behind. He becomes their covering again. See, this is what Mark is trying to to paint out for here that this young man in Mark 16 he doesn't have the linen cloth but he's wearing white he suddenly left behind this bed dead burial shroud and now he's clothed in this glorious thing that Jesus is clothed with see Jesus donated his garment of glory see the garments had been exchanged the linen cloth the young man wore was stripped for him, wearing, rendering him naked. Covered Jesus' body in the tomb, and in exchange, the white garments that the young man has now are suddenly the glorified garments that Jesus wore at his transfiguration. So the, Mark here is showing us this beautiful picture that the garment of shame of the young man was buried with Jesus. And now Jesus' glorious garment has now been given to that young man. See, this is the artistic portrayal of the exchange of garments. 
and it bears for us a promise. See, for those disciples that have failed, God offers great hope. Yes, anybody that follows Jesus, sometimes we look clumsy. We're like stumbling around. We're making the wrong decision. We're doing this. We're doing that. But God says, if you will come to me, if you will consistently humble yourself and repent of your sin, and if you will press into me, and if you will hand me your shame, I will take that garment and I will place it on my sacrifice. And suddenly I will exchange your old robe and I will cover your nakedness, not with something that's dead or are meant to be buried, but something that is glorious and eternal. See, this is amazing grace. Jesus was buried by, with, and for our shame. And He restores to us garments of glory where shame is no more. Maybe you've run away from Jesus because your shame was just seemingly too great to bear and your shame just keeps pushing you it keeps pushing you and satan with his lies just consistently keeps shoving you and shoving you further and further out into the the outskirts where you feel like there's no way i could come to god god doesn't want me he doesn't love me there's nothing i want to tell you something it doesn't matter if you would have made every good decision you would be just as lost without jesus than if you'd made every right decision than for every wrong decision that you made See, when it comes to the cross of Christ, we're all in a level playing field. We all must have the gospel. We all must have grace. And God is so willing to give it to you. And so He's not trying to strip you, to shame you, and and lift the covers off you and say, hey, look how bad. He's trying to get to the root and give you a garment that will deal with the shame, that will heal the shame, that will cover the shame. And you'll find yourself like that young man in in the story. And Instead of fleeing naked, you're going to be clothed with glorious garments and you'll be proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God. And this is what God can do. This is what He did in me. I'm not anybody special. I'm just a recipient of the great grace of God that is available to you and anyone who will humble themselves and call upon the name of the Lord. See, Jesus was stripped naked and He covers your shame with his shame. It's like he steps in front of your shame with his shame on the cross and he covers it. And by his resurrection, he restores everything that Adam lost in the garden. He gives us garments of white of his own righteousness in exchange for our nakedness. So I want to ask you, would you trust him today would you let him cover your shame would you let him cover your righteousness which the bible says is of filthy rags and would you let him come and cover you and cover your shame with his shame and heal you and bring you into sonship or daughtership of the great Father of God. See, there's only one way to to God, and that's through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through Him. In other words, nobody gets the garments to cover what we need to be covered, what we need to be healed separate from Jesus. 
So on this Easter day, I think what would be so awesome as we celebrate Jesus being resurrected is that you would be resurrected from a dead spirit, from a dead heart that's lost in sin and lost in your trespasses and that you would call upon the name of the Lord and you would put your faith in Jesus and you would be saved. See, that would bring about a resurrection power to rise up in you so that you could be a new creation. That you would follow Jesus into his kingdom when he comes back. And for all eternity, you would rule and reign with him, never to be lost again. What an exchange. We give God our nakedness and shame, and he gives us his glory and righteousness. I want to pray for you. God, I pray that right now, God, as you rose from that dead, as real as I'm standing here, God, you rose from the dead. And so as real as I'm standing here, you are that real in that room and in that place right now. So God, anybody, God, that is being drawn, Lord, I pray against any distraction, any, any tool of the enemy that would say this isn't real or you've gone too far. That is a lie from Satan because nobody's beyond the reach of God because he's willing to go to a cross to come save us. There's nothing that would separate us between him, him and his love. And so, Lord, I pray that anybody out there, God, that doesn't know you or that maybe thinks they've got a relationship with you, but they really don't. They've got some form of religion. God, that that would be broken off today and that by your spirit, by faith in you and by them saying, Jesus, I step into your life. I leave my life behind. I ask you to come and take control. God, that they would take that step towards you and find everlasting, eternal life. So Lord, touch every viewer today, God. Let them experience the beauty of your presence. God, let them feel what it feels like to be hugged by the Father. Because once you feel that embrace, God, you can't go back. You can't go back. You might turn away for a season, but, but if you're God, you always come back. So God, I pray that your peace and your covering would just cover every bit of shame that's out there. And that a new confidence in you, God, would begin to develop. And they would step into the throne room of grace and have an encounter and a conversation with you that a relationship with you would be started today that would change the whole trajectory of their whole family history. That this moment, this decision today changes the family lineage of someone watching today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Happy Resurrection Day. We love you. And I hope this ministered to you. If you need anything, shoot us a message. If you uh, prayed and asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, Man, we want to help you. You can message me or message the church Facebook page, and we want to get with you and help you. Have an awesome day. Spend time with your family. Just enjoy this and enjoy the beauty that, that is God's creation. And we just want to thank you and just, above all, give God all the glory for everything he's done. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Your